Simon. Hey, how are you? I'm good. It's uh, been a scorcher here today. I don't know what it's been like with you. Yeah, it's absolutely beautiful outside. I was in Mid-Kent earlier um, delivering a wellbeing workshop for Chapeldown Vineyards, you know, some of their Lovely. staff. Um, but it was in a bit of a, an office block place, so it wasn't inspiring like the vineyard where I was last <laughs> night. And the lovely Anne Diamond was there doing some sort of marketing. But, yeah, it was scorching down there, a bit cooler by the coast where I am, but it's still lovely outside. Yeah, so long did may you, continue. Did you get to sample the goods at Chapel Down? No, unfortunately. I, and this is where I made a mistake. The last time when I was at the actual vineyard, I, I thought, shall I go in and buy something? Uh, and I thought, no, next time I'll go to the, the vineyard. And uh, this time it was in a, some faceless office block in the middle of Kings Hill, Maidstone sort of area. So uh, very disappointed. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it, it was it was nice um, to get out and about and do a face-to-face workshop with people today, uh, especially as a return from Croatia on holiday last week. Oh, so, lovely. Yeah, highly recommend Croatia. First time I've been, we went to a little place called Porek um, on the coast there cracking hotel lots of germans uh you know doing what they do with towels so that was an interesting dance each morning and uh yeah the town is beautiful really friendly um place actually croatia um i've always looked at it from afar but we'll be going back looking to go back next year and maybe hire a villa in and around split this time to see what that's oh, like so um yeah how about yourself how you been keeping just uh, not a lot, actually. Just, just, just very quiet, actually. With uh, a little toddler running around, he's been uh, keeping me busy. So that's kind of what all I've been doing. Nothing too exciting. I haven't been gallivanting around the Mediterranean like yourself, Simon. <laughs> well, what's going on? You're slipping. You know, you, you've got to start picking it up. Um, yeah. But um, a unique situation for us today, then, Dave. You know, we've got yeah. a, a great guest on, um, Sammy Lander. Uh, who reached out to me via LinkedIn off the back of one of our posts about the podcast. And uh, usually one of us knows our guest today, so we have a little bit of a background on them. But today, we neither of us really know Sammy. So this is going to no. be really insightful, and um, we're going to get to see a new perspective and, uh, you know, hopefully learn lots of different things. Because the one thing I've picked up on is um, Sammy has a bit of a mental health interest, but also substitutions, you know, and how they are done in games. So uh, with my footballing coaching background, I'd be interested to learn a little bit more about how that sort of works and what his field is in that. So I think it, it could be quite an apt time yeah. to, to get Sammy on and, you know, get to know him and learn a little bit more about what he does. So um, without further ado, um, Sammy, how are you? Hello, chaps. I'm very well, thank you. Uh, obviously, very, very privileged to be here and, and featuring on the podcast. As I mentioned just before, you know, is sort of came across this podcast and, and listened to an episode of it and thought this is, um, you know, good, good standard and very entertaining, and and I enjoyed it. And I thought, you know, it'd be a another podcast to feature on to to tick off the bucket list. So, um, yeah, that's what we put the message. But yeah, you, you're right. It's a rather niche journey that I've been on so far. So. I am, I suppose, what you could call football's first substitution coach. So I am yeah. from Bournemouth. I'm from down south. I'm with quite a rural area. You know, we're not very um, blessed with footballing history down south. So um, I started as sort of a little coach and in with a small town called Weymouth. And, and they're in the Southern Prem, which I think at the time is step four um, or step three, sorry. Uh, and then sort of worked my way up there, got, got to be a first team coach, enjoyed a couple of promotions to the National League, 
where we were still a part-time team in a, in a full-time league, which was in itself a challenge because we were coming up against the Wrexhams, the Notts Counties, the Chesterfields, and we didn't even have a kit man. So it was it was quite an experience trying to balance the, the challenges of that. Uh, but then I, I always sort of felt like I wanted to be more and, and, and you know, have a legacy and try and create something. So I... Um, I started looking at football about how I could make myself relevant and, and propel myself up the, the levels. And yeah, substitutions was sort of the journey and the, and the topic that, that I've focused on. And yeah, it led to me becoming first team coach at Wimbledon, which I specialised in substitutions and then have since gone on to consult for a number of teams. And yeah, it's been it's been a, quite a journey at 25. <laughs> So, yeah, Sammy, that, that, that sounds interesting. There's a few things there, you know. Um, Dave's got family that lives down in Bournemouth. I'm a Portsmouth fan, so I'm disappointed you said oh, okay. there's no football history down there. <laughs> yeah. You know. um, yeah, yeah, I was going to say, you've got, a a little bit. you've got a team in the Premier League. Like, I grew up, uh, um, I suppose, in the football wastelands of Surrey. Like, yeah. uh, we've got Woking, <laughs> like a conference side at best. And we think we've got a bit of football heritage, but not much. But you're from Bournemouth. i got... There's a Premier League team there. <laughs> and you had Harry Redknapp, you know, uh, you know, yeah. right character down there for years. So, no, it is it's, it's interesting. So at 25, where did you start out? Where did this yeah. interest in football come from? And how did you get onto this pathway, which has obviously led you more to the substitution expertise? But where did it begin for you? You know, were you a player? You know, give us a little bit more of your, your background, yeah. if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, of course. So it probably better summarise what I mean by a footballing legacy down south as well. But I am from a <laughs> tiny, a tiny rural village called Shaftesbury, um, and and you know we we have a Tesco's, we have a Costa, um, and I, you know, about as far as commercial things go, that's about as much as we have. So it's quite rural. Um, you know, we have just the one school. You know, and everyone goes. So it's quite it's quite villagey. Everyone knows everyone. Hmm. Um, and so obviously, nearest football club is Bournemouth, which is about an hour away. Weymouth's about an hour and ten. So. You know, football wasn't really particularly that big. Um, you know, we all played, of course, but in terms of like you look for someone to in relate to or inspire to, it was, it was quite tough being where we were sort of based. Um, so, yeah, for me, I always wanted to be a football player. It was always my biggest, uh, my biggest goal. And, and I love everything to do with the sport. I think it's one of the best feelings in the world when you're on freshly cut grass with a, with a football. I think it's unbelievable. Um, but then I had a car crash when I was... 12 i think 11 or 12 um and it meant i lost the eyesight in one of my eyes so um, i lost the eyesight in my right eye and it meant um that not only did it sort of like hinder my social development and my physical development you know because i was in out of hospital i've had seven or eight surgeries around it but you know it makes football a hell of a lot harder so mm. um story little sidetrack well, i actually managed to work for afc bournemouth when i was a little bit younger and was lucky enough to feature in a charity game for them so I was coming up against all these like, you know, great heroes like Steve Fletcher and um, James Hayter and, you know, all, all the big names around Bournemouth. And I, and they put me at left wing back. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm, I'm not really got a left foot and I haven't really got a right eye. So it was a, it was a disaster <laughs> for 45 minutes. And uh, it was that that was a sort of moment where I thought, yeah, maybe I should just not pursue a career in, in football playing. And, and the next best thing for me was, you know, coaching um analyzing you know sort of just being in football and so yeah that's where it started sort of turning in more into a career down, down the coaching pathway because they always say don't they make your make your job your passion and you never have to work a day in your life i think that's the saying so 
yeah, that for me was very, um, very relevant when I was young and thinking about what I want to do for the rest of my life. Um, so yeah, that's where I've sort of started me off. I think, uh, yeah, I, I think we need to roll back in terms of, I do know the, the Dorset area, you are nearer the, I suppose, the more, yeah, the countryside of, of Dorset rather than, I suppose, the beaches <laughs> of Bournemouth, aren't you? Yeah. Um, Simon, this is quite sad, but um, Shaft, well, it's not sad in, in, in upsetting, <laughs> but it's sad I know this, um, Shaftesbury in, in Dorset, what, do you remember the Hovis advert with the kid with yes, the Yes, the Gold Hill. That's yeah. where they filmed it. <laughs> nice little bit of trivia there, Dave. Yes, yeah? exactly. So my my localised Dorset knowledge is still good. Yeah. Maybe we'll have to stick that that theme on the the, the pod for this one. You know, yeah. yeah. But that's it. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, sorry, I interrupt with my like uh, late seventies, early eighties advert knowledge there. But uh, well, one question that I had really around from you know what you've just said there about your passion and, and things like when did the, did you realize that you that there could be an opportunity to progress um this kind of angle if you like you had on on being involved in football was there like a uh you know a moment where you like an aha moment where you thought this this is something i could do or has it taken a lot of work to kind of push forward with that idea it's uh, it's definitely taken a lot of work um you know it, it literally is my identity you know sometimes in a positive way sometimes in a negative way um but it, but it is my 24 7 and I'm, I'm lucky that i've got family and a girlfriend and friends that are very understanding of that um but but there's been probably two two moments that that sort of answer that question for you the first one was when i was probably 15 16 and i went to loughborough um I went to loughborough to do college and i went and held my first ever coaching session uh when i was 16 for loughborough college so basic session obviously i was a bit new but i got to the end of it and it was like that feeling of like wow like this that was just the most amazing thing i've ever done and i enjoyed every second of it and i didn't want it to end and i want to just get straight back out there and do that again and it was that like like that's like raw passion for me and i was like this is what i've just got to do for the rest of my time because you know if, if every day feels like that then I'm going to have the best life ever. And that was sort of where it started with football. And then where it sort of came into this substitution thing is um, where I was actually starting to get named as a, as a player. So my career sort of may, might have actually come back in. But when we went through COVID, Weymouth being a part-time team had to furlough players. So in order to make sure that the opposition knew that we weren't weak, we started naming me on the bench as a new <laughs> this like sort of secret weapon that, you know, Barnett don't know about. And I'm, you know, six free, I turn up and I'm in quite a good shape. So they don't know what I can do with the football. They just know that I can run if I have to. So yeah, I started getting named as a player and I still did all my coaching roles like I had to because, you know, that was what my career and what I was being paid for. But there was one moment where we were playing in the, I think it was the FA Cup actually, qualifying round and 89th minute, our striker's gone down injured and I was the last sub on the bench because we only had three subs. One was a goalie, one had been used and the other one was me. And the gaffer literally turned around to me and said, are you ready to come on, Sammy? And I'm, you know, sat in this bench coat. I'm eating jelly babies. Um, you know, I'm still engaged with the game because I'm, I'm a coach. I'm doing my coaching role. But I'm nowhere near ready to go and put myself in an intense game of football and, and you know, potentially make a key pass or win a key header or anything like that. And that was sort of that light bulb moment for the substitution topic where I went, wow, like if I feel like this, 
there's got to be millions of other players that feel like this and that's where it all started and it sort of snowballed into this like larger concept that's yeah now become a, a thing which is cool so in regards to your coaching qualifications where are you currently at level wise you know how far have you gone on that journey so far so i'm doing well, I'm sort of finishing doing my b at the moment um mm -hmm. it's, it's a tough question really that because i've like I said, growing up, I was never, we were never really that privileged with money. And it was always quite a case that we had to, you know, if we ever had money, it was a case of surviving rather than thriving. So it took me a little while to sort of get on the coaching ladder and, and get my FA level one and two. And then that sort of pushed things back. And um, and then obviously we went through COVID, which, which you know, hurt a little bit. And then it delayed all the UEFA Bs. And, and then I went to Wimbledon where, you know, every weekend I was, you know, with Wimbledon first team, you know, at a game. So it was quite tough to do a qualification alongside that so yeah I probably would have liked to be a little bit further uh, but the experiences I have are probably a lot further than I would have hoped to be at the moment so it's a little bit of a trade-off in this I mm. sort of almost prioritized experience over qualifications yeah um, but yeah right now I'm, I'm taking off my B and moving on to BA hopefully in the next sort of couple of months so uh, did the pro game team support you at all from the FA because I know if you're involved in professional football um, you know, the likes of Jeff Noonan, I think he used to support Wimbledon, but mm. maybe Paul Holder um, from my old FA colleagues. And then, you know, down in Dorset, who, who's your tutor on your beer? Um, I might know them. Uh, well, I'm actually doing it in Wales. I'm actually doing ah, it in line, Wales. Man. Yeah, yeah. Because um, obviously, again, the, and no disrespect to the English FA, you know, they, they do things brilliantly, but they haven't. So, again, related to Dorset, there hasn't been a UEFA B since 2017, 2018, maybe. So. Really? Yeah, again, you talk about opportunities, you know, me as a young coach in Dorset who, you know, wants to be known bigger than the Hovis advert in Shaftesbury. I want to, <laughs> you know, I need my UA for B and my UA for A. And yeah, because there wasn't one run, you know, I sort of started looking at Scotland and Wales and I've heard such good things about Wales. So, um, yeah, I chose to go down that path. Yeah, there's, there's, you're in good crowd of people, aren't you? Some of the people that have graduated through um, the Welsh FA is... Well, like Thierry Henry, there's 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 quite a few, isn't there? Is there anyone in your track that that we would have heard of? Um, not on my course, there's not. No, but um, I'm trying to think. They did get obviously they did this big presentation where they had a, you know, the pictures and all the things. Of, I know Peter Crouch did it. <laughs> not that he's gone on to necessarily be a football coach, but and yeah, I know he that he did his um yeah his coaching that way. But yeah, Thierry Henry is the the big one, I think. But the, what's the guy, Simon, you would know the, the guy's name. The, was he at Crystal Palace? I can't remember the guy that's kind of like mm. the the linchpin behind the Welsh. He was Vieira's number two, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, for quite a while, but my my memory is so terrible as I get older. But he technically set up everything, isn't it? And, and loads of players came through that. Like, I think Vieira went through mm. the Welsh FA as well. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it seems a good place to go. Mm. It's more accessible. I think that's that's what we find is... It's a lot uh, more accessible to get on courses in Scotland and Wales because the English FA have these processes and, you know, they're prioritising people from the, the black, Asian, minority, ethnic uh, background and also female coaches at the moment. And you also need to be, you know, putting a, an application in which is scrutinised and it can take time. And as you said, with COVID, it really decimated a lot of the things that were going on, Sammy. So, yeah, I can I can really empathise with the journey that you've been on because, covid did stall quite a lot of things for people 
So in relation to um, the substitute thing then, so you've, you've yeah. told, from a personal perspective, you've said, you know what, that experience of being ready to go on. Because I, I know that we started to call substitutes something different. We started to call them game changers or, you know, they're, they're coming on now. So Because substitute can almost have a, a stigmatizing, a, you know, name towards it. Oh, you're the sub. Where mm. if you, you frame it as, you know, you're a game changer. You're going to come on for, especially now we're starting to see this additional time at the end of the game. Some people are quite impactful coming in off the bench, aren't they, rather than playing the full 90. So when you've then started to, you know, grow this idea in your mind of substitutions, is there a niche here? How did that start to manifest itself? How did that develop? So, again, it was it took sort of shape through four areas. So it was almost like treating them like a starter. So, you know, mm -hmm. you would analyze a substitute, you know, physically, you know, physically, are they ready? Do they feel happy to go on and run? Because I certainly didn't, you know, technically and tactically. Do they understand the pressing shape? You know, what, what are they bringing into the game of football? And then obviously the biggest one, like you just touched on there, is psychologically. So that, mm. that itself is such a bit. And I could argue that you could have a player who's physically, technically and tactically ready if they don't feel confident and don't feel loved and don't feel empowered then in any line of work that person is not going to fulfill their potential or, or, or sort of demonstrate their role at the highest level because you know it's a basic that you need to feel confident in your role to do well so it almost was a case of we or i went through the concept you know bit by bit so for example the mental side um, and the psychological side i went into players um, and teams and just sort of interviewed them rather and and asked them questions about their experience as a substitute and typically the words you know anxious um neglected second best disheartened all these sort of four words were, were quite a common theme mm. in, in in being a substitute and that was just like no wonder these guys aren't coming on and having an impact then because if you have a bench and you turn around and you have four players each displaying one of those emotions you know that's a really tough situation to try and get them up for it so yeah the the, the mental side was sort of through interviewing players and the, the sort of the data and the technical side almost came through me sort of constructing my own research because there isn't any research on substitutes at the moment you you know if you put it into google you can't just find out who's got the best subs and and what that looks like and what are the patterns so yeah i started sort of looking into that way as well so when you think of game state you know, and people coming on, um, how much does that start to play a part? You know, is if you're one nil down, it's a certain fixture. Does that influence those those key areas more? Is that something you've um, found? Yeah, massively. Yeah. So again, it's so tough because I, I do these LinkedIn posts and, and other podcasts and little things where you try and, you know, educate people on substitutes. But it is such an individualized, you know, topic. You know, very rarely do the trends that you see in one team replicate into another team because their team are filled with, you know, 28 different individuals with a different manager, with a different philosophy. And so, you know, it's so hard to sort of compare. So, and game trends is exactly the same, you know, losing subs looks so different to a drawing sub, which look even more different to a winning sub. And, and it's about having that clarity and understanding of almost what you want from a substitute in each game state um, that, that can affect how you use that substitute. Mm -hmm. it's uh i'll be honest it's it's an area i've never really come across i think it, it's like you were saying it's almost like i think many teams look at it as an afterthought it's just part and parcel of the game and most teams don't apply much 
you know effort to it is that the case or am i have i missed this it, it our team's starting to push more effort into this area i think they're starting to yeah but i think obviously i started this journey i think in the probably just coming out of covid so like 2021 ish 2020 so i've been in this journey sort of for two and a half years now and you know when i first started reaching out to clubs on linkedin um you know it was it was always met with a little bit of frostiness because of the you know because you're almost saying i believe i can add a value in a place where you've not even you know mm. considered and it, you know it almost comes across a little bit like you know offensive where you're saying oh, i think i think you could do better with this and so you have to be really careful when you use your words but but yeah like i think i think it's a growing area because i think the best way that i always describe it is that you know set piece coaches were the were the thing you know five years ago yeah but now you know there's teams in league two that have set piece coaches so that marginal gain is now getting less and less because every team is having one so now it's like well, where does the next game come from and then it's like what part of football can you look at and i, I recently spoke to a goal a goal kick coach so he had sort of a, a, a this principle where you know he believes that goal kicks could be better utilized and Again, it might not be a full-time role or it might just be a first-team coach who specialises in goal kicks. But, you know, the little areas of football now it is where I think the success and the detail is coming from. And, yeah, I think substitutions is that next part of the game to be modernised, really. I suppose, you obviously, you mentioned you've worked with Wimbledon. What's the reaction been with some of the other clubs you, you, you've, you've contacted? Obviously, you said there's been some frostiness, but... Is there teams that you've spoken, and obviously you don't have to say who they are, but has there been the opposite of that, where teams have actually been quite open to to your ideas and the concept of having someone like yourself on board? Yeah, 100%. So, again, when I started out and I started messaging these clubs, you know, I just left Weymouth and I was only 23, 22, so I was like a young first-team coach um, and I didn't really have much behind me, do you know what I mean, in terms of when I was sort of messaging big clubs, they wouldn't even know where Weymouth is you know what i mean so it doesn't necessarily carry that clout that, that you need so when i got wimbledon it made it a lot easier because i had this year in league one and wimbledon were really well known they were central to london or south london but um and, and the results we got through this concept were, were amazing in terms of you know the, the goal contributions the impact that the way that the players we worked with described being a substitute you know, suddenly elevated my work sort of into the limelight a little bit. And I was lucky that Sky did a little bit and BBC did a little bit and The Athletic did a little bit and that portrayed it all positively. So from that point, it was then a case of, well, now I've just got to pick the right clubs deliberately. So, you know, I was lucky enough to go into Brentford, um, lucky enough to go into Brighton. And, and the way that you can describe it is that I had to be deliberate with the clubs that I messaged like they had to be forward-thinking clubs they had to be yeah. open-minded um there was one club I spoke to and I won't name them but in league they were in league one at the time um and the manager jumped on the phone and the call must have been about 45 seconds where he just said no like just give it up not gonna be a thing don't chase it you know keep doing what you're doing and stay in the role as just a normal coach and and obviously that was one of the more frosty replies but yeah, there, there is the fair share. You just have to be deliberate with what with what clubs you sort of want to talk to. Um, it, it's similar to um, another area that I've come across, and it's a guest that we're hoping to get on in the future, um, Hugo Schechter from Player Care. Because when you do their course, and, and I think this could be something you might consider in the future as well around training others in this field, hmm. is um, 
the importance of that connection with players to make them feel comfortable to get the maximum performance out of them. Because I think mm. there's almost a psychology role to what you do, isn't there? Like mm. you touched on, the, the, the tech tech is important and they needed to know quite clearly their roles and responsibilities when they come on. But psycho psychologically, they need to be in a place where they feel empowered, they feel really confident, and when they come on, they believe that they can have that immediate impact because there is an element of immediacy. And I suppose, um, depending when they're coming on, because that's that will be another fascinating insight. You yeah. know, substitutions off the back of an injury, substitutions with 30 minutes to go, substitutions when the, the manager's mad at three players, you mm -hmm. know, and goes, Right, you three are coming off, you three are going on. Is that structured? Is it managed? Um, closer to the end of the game where we're now seeing these extensions. So would you be able to give us a bit more of what are the processes? What are the um, the actual considerations you go through when planning for a match day with the the, the first team players? Um, what's that process look in the, the, the week building up to a, a fixture? Especially at pro level, you might have two fixtures a week on occasions, which is quite yeah. challenging in, in relation to getting that messaging across effectively. Yeah, so um, again, I always say I'm, I'm a coach at heart, you know, and I just mm -hmm. happen to focus and specialise in substitution. So, you know, Monday to Friday, I look like a normal first team coach. You know, I look like a coach who wants to be involved in the process of delivering training, helping at training, picking tactics, picking analysis, being in and around the lads. Um, but what, obviously what you just do slightly different is you're just a little bit more observant of maybe the players who didn't play at the weekend. You know, do they bring that negative body language into Monday, into Tuesday? You know, it, is it a case then that their physical load can be addressed a little bit differently because they didn't play at the weekend? So now you can do some extras with them Monday and Tuesday to just get them a little bit more buzzed and back up for it. And like you, the sort of buzzwords you just mentioned, feeling confident and loved and empowered. So, yeah, Monday to Friday is a case of it does look quite similar probably to a usual role. Um, it's it's the weekends that where you probably put the most processes in place because, you know, that's where I've got to be a little bit careful about what I reveal. But that's where we try to implement, you know, the different strategies for the substitutes so that they feel more included. They feel more empowered. They feel more educated about what we want from them as well as what they want from us. You know, there's that alignment that it does work both ways is that, you know, we want this from our substitute, but we're going to ensure that on arrival, you know, you have your own structure to follow. Um, and, and that can include both the tech and tech, but also, like you said, the psychological. Um, so, for example, on a game day, I would always make sure that I just, I call it hung out, like hang around with them, but I, I would spend time with the substitutes. That would just be my role. So when all the first teamers went out and they'd start their warm up and there was that 15 minutes from the starters going out um, to the subs going out or the finishers, I would just be in there and it would just be a case of talking to them and and it would either you you have to know the person because there'll be some players that enjoyed talking about the game and, and talking about what they wanted to do today and, and visualizing and using a bit of imagery but there would be other players who would be you know really disheartened so it'd be a case of well, let's talk about other identities that they have let's talk about what they had for dinner last night with their family when they went out and remind them that they're valued in other parts of their life and that this is just you know, a process that you have to handle in football and all these different things sort of contribute to almost like a bigger cause, which which obviously we found to change that culture around substitutions. But yeah, like I say, it's so different with every club because every club operates a little bit differently. So I almost have to be that chameleon that can fit in 
with every club process and then add the value in the little gaps that I sort of see. Yeah, because um, when I choose uh, grassroots courses, you know, UA for C's, UA for B's, used to be the older level one. Uh, we would say to people, you know, how do you utilize your, you know, substitutes? Do you give them observation and analysis tasks? Do you get them to engage with what's happening on the pitch rather than just maybe kicking a ball off to the side or sat down cold uh, mm. on the, the, the sidelines? Do you think this is something that could be embedded in more coach education then? And how would you see that potentially manifest in itself? Yeah, massively. Like I say, I think being a substitute is a skill. You know, I don't think it's luck. I don't think you just magically become a good substitute. It's a skill that, that you can be educated on. And it's a case of, um, you know, it's a case of how you can help a player because because no one in their career will ever start every game ever. You know, they, they people will have to handle this career hurdle. So the sooner you can almost, and I think it'll be obviously interesting to hear your thoughts on this, but, you know, when you go through the academy system, <coughs> sorry, there's almost a, you know a, a rule where you have to play so many minutes mm. and obviously causally you know you, you don't want to take that away because it's kids playing football and that absolutely is the, you know the priority but when you get to under 18s and under 23s you know typically you're still playing then you might go on loan to a lower league club where you're the bigger player so you play most minutes anyways then all of a sudden you hit 22 you move out the 23s you move into the first team and then you might go 10 games in a row where you never play and i think that's that massive like culture change where it's like wow this isn't academy development anymore where the gaffer has to give me 20 minutes. This is, you know, first team football where I'm not even given a second thought. So it's about helping the player understand, you know, that and, and, and make sure that when they get named as a sub for that first time in, you know, that's they've got a process in place ready to sort of support them in that in that process is, is what I would say anyways. Do you see, I suppose, as part of that, you know, with some of the players that you've worked with, I take it some of them are better at dealing with that like you were saying if you regard being a substitute as a negative but i suppose you're always going to get players that it would spur them on to to play better to, to to start on the starting 11 but is it quite common to see players that you know are good players but they just their confidence everything on that front is shaken really by the fact that they're a sub is that quite commonplace with the players you've worked with yeah very much so so obviously there are players who sometimes take it by the take it by the the, the take a little bit of an edge and go right well i'm going to show you do you know what i mean i'm going to yeah. show you that i can do this and that and that's nice and refreshing but but i would say the majority are a little bit like oh you know maybe i didn't do well enough this week maybe yeah. i maybe i did you know maybe i wasn't at it maybe i wasn't this so yeah that's the majority so it's a case of trying to change that and what we call sort of a challenge mindset so rather than feel sorry and feel the victim go okay like this is the picture that i've been given how can i work this in my advantage how can i use this to, to help me get through today you know what, what do the opposition look like because if i come on and i start if i come on and i play really well then all it's going to do is improve my chances for starting in the next game and i think players are quite common commonly forget that that you know, however you do as a substitute can largely influence how you do as a start of the following game. So it's a case of sort of, yeah, using that to almost as a, as a dangling carrot, if you will, you know, have that motivation to do, you know, do well, do do good as a substitute. And then that might, you know, that might sort of trigger a run of starts. So do you then, I suppose it isn't just a case of working with the players themselves. Do you spend a lot of time working with the managers 
as well to kind of say, look, this is the type of players you've got. These ones are going to respond better to this versus that. Is that a key part of where you see your role as well? A little bit, yeah, a little bit. My role is almost, I always say it's to advise and assist with the with the manager. The manager will always have the final say on things and he will always, you know, decide the, the final culture and that sort of thing. So, you know, I can't do it as one man. I was lucky that when I was at Wimbledon, I had Mark Robinson, who's now at Chelsea 23s, who was committed to changing the culture. So whatever I suggested, he was very open for me trying because he, well, he wanted that culture to be open and honest and, and comfortable. So it, it needs to be set by the manager, but then it's a case of me sort of like complimenting the manager. So, for example, I've been into some managers who named the lineup on a Saturday and I've been into some managers that name it on a Friday. and I've been into some managers that even name it on a Tuesday. So, you know, there's three different, completely different processes of naming a starting lineup. And then it's my job to sort of come in and just compliment you know, if for those who do it on a Tuesday, it gives me five days to work with the players. Those who do it on a Friday, it gives me a night to work with the players. Those who do it on a Saturday sometimes can be the hardest, but it means that in the week they're the most motivated, but then it's that managing it on a game day. So, yeah, it's it's, it's so generalised almost with, with each club. And I think... Yeah, sorry, Dave, go on. Yeah, all I was going to say was things have changed so much, I would say, even in the last few years, let alone you know, 10s, 15, 20 years. Like I was just thinking, it made me think about, and I can't really think of any team that would ever do this as they did, but when, um, again, it's showing my age a bit, uh, when Trevor Francis moved to uh, Nottingham Forest, and what was he, the the, the first million pound yeah, player yeah, yeah. In, in the UK, he didn't start for Forest for, was it three months, I think it was? Really? I can't think. I can't think of any team more recently that would have bought someone uh you know a high value player and then just not started them almost obviously you're dealing with, you were dealing with brian clough who was obviously um i don't know what he's trying to achieve with it but obviously it works in the long run but yeah. it, it, i imagine it, I could, it'd be the equivalent i suppose like if i'm just thinking like if bay munich brought in harry kane and then said right you're not gonna play till october <laughs> I, I I couldn't see that ever happening, but I suppose in terms of where you are, where you will get players that will come in that may have the perception that they think they need to start every game. Where do you start with them when they are, you know, put straight onto the bench rather than the starting eleven, which they obviously perceive as being their their home, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, in a way, it's a positive because it's the fact that they think they should be starting shows that they've got the self belief. You know, which yeah. is something I think is so crucial for football because of how sort of savage the industry is. So to have that self-belief initially, I think, is is brilliant. What you've got to do is just make sure that you channel it into a more sustainable way rather yeah. than sort of this, this you know, one-off way. Because I always say that, you know, fear, in my opinion, this rule of fear has just expired in football. That doesn't that doesn't exist anymore. People can't do things through fear. So you have to get to do it through respect and, and love and want. And so those three words is what you're trying to get the player who's maybe just signed for a big fee, you know, to want to be a good substitute, you know, out of the respect for the manager and me and his players and his teammates to want to be a good substitute. And so it's a case of sort of channeling that self-belief and confidence just into the right way, I think. Because um, I suppose my point links a bit to Dave's there, 
because the reintegration of someone returning from quite a tough injury as well has got to be a big psychological thing. So you, you've highlighted that you're a mental health advocate as well. This is something that you're also interested. How do you combine the two around this variety of quite angst-ridden scenarios in a way? Because I, I like the fact you touched on similar to Carol Dweck's growth mindset stuff, you know, challenge mm. mindset. It, it's, you know, players buying into that. Uh, but there is that level of anxiety that sits around football always, isn't there? Unless you are in that position where you're tied on to be in the team. So mm. with, with the, the the group that you're working with who are on the periphery or returning from injury, what, what surrounds all that? You know, how do those conversations get facilitated? You know, what type of things do you integrate from a mental health perspective? So, yeah, so I've been a I've been an ambassador of a mental health charity or a few mental health charities for probably what was about five years. And I stopped last summer um, and now just do sort of charity runs to sort of raise money for it every year. But I did I did this um, drop in service as part of my ambassador role where I would sit in a, in a room um, and it was sort of on a, on a Wednesday night and people who in Shaftesbury or in and around Shaftesbury local towns that felt sad or felt lonely, depressed, whatever, came in and, and we would sit and we would chat and we would have biscuits, we'd have tea, you know, some football fans would come in and we'd just chat football. And, and it, it was an unbelievable experience for me because it, in that moment, not only did I learn so much about people and, and what motivates them and, and how they like to respond and, you know, how open they can be, you know, I find people fascinating. But I also sort of learned lessons that you can apply to other aspects in life. And this was one of them where, you know, you're sat in front of someone who feels like they have nothing, you know, and, and is, is observing everything and you're observing everything. And you sort of have to respond and do the right body language to reassure them and use the right tone and use the right words and be so deliberate with your communications that then when you go to have such a tough conversation, you know, you can not only can you use those tips to make that conversation a little bit softer but you can also empathize with them you know you you can relate that that they might be having a really tough time at home and their career is their identity and now this has gone wrong as well and now you know their whole world is crumbling because you know they've they've you know got not a great home life and then they've got not a great playing life and so that empathy i always the word empathy i just think is so important in today's world and and upcoming players are just so so um yeah in in tune with their emotions probably more so than the generation that have just been so you have to be equally um equally involved really so if you were to summarize some of the traits that you think an effective substitute coach would be and um i don't know if that's how you'd badge the terminology what sort of things would you say uh, a really effective substitute coach would need to develop you know because listening on that you're pulling on experiences from other areas of your life that are really complementing the work you're doing with working with players. Is there anything that you could share with people? Because when they're listening, um, someone might go, you know what, I think I've got a lot of those traits and that's something I'm really interested in. Mm. Yeah, I think that you obviously have to be positive because <laughs> I can tell you now that, that when all the starters go out and there's been times where I've got a bench of seven players who are all really sad, and I'm the only one in the changing room that's not sad. You have to have some charisma and some positivity to, to sort of like get it to be infectious to those seven players. You know, you have to have that energy, positivity and charisma, you know, firstly, because, you know, it might be the manager that has the conversation with them and then they come to you 
and you have to be this energy that just lifts them back up gets pumped their tires make them feel amazing you know and, and and have them smiling again so they're three really key words but the other one i would say is honest i think you you've got to be there you know you've got to be their their mate and, and help them get through it but additionally they aren't in the team for a reason and you need to be able to be honest with them and say listen i think i think you're a cracking lad and i think all the rest of it but right now you aren't doing this and we need you to do this so you need to start doing this and that's going to help you get where you want to be and i think that's a lesson again that i've learned is that is that sometimes the people who are honest are actually the people who are your biggest fans rather than your critics you know they're actually the people that want you to be successful which is why they're being honest and that's something that i've probably learned through being a coach but but also again have taken that into being a coach where you know, I can sit down with a player and say, look, I, I do think you're doing well and I, I love what you're doing, but you're not doing what I'm asking of you. And and that's what I need right now. And so the four, yeah, the four probably words would be honesty, charisma, energy and positivity. So um, I touched on earlier coach education and how this could be um, a, an additional element that would make a big difference to these new coaches coming through. If have you ever considered creating some sort of content that you then market to others and sell, or yeah, if if you thought it was um, you know an addition, should it be a CPD workshop? I mean, mm. where do you see the 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 transference of knowledge or developing others in this area? Because I think when people listen to this and they go, "I've got those traits," um, it's something that I think I could add value to. But I'd like to learn more about the logistics, the nuts and bolts of it. Where could they maybe source some information? Is it something that you're looking to do in the future as part of you growing as uh, this expert in this field? Mm. So I currently do a little bit of my LinkedIn where, you know, I post little bits of sort of like public samples of either work I've done previously for a team or I'm about to do or, um, you know, I, I recently did, you know, however many subs were made in the premier league versus how they're made in league one and what are the trends and patterns. so i do little bits of research just to sort of get people's appetite wet for it um but yeah no it, it's something i probably haven't considered as much just because you know as much as i would love to educate people on it and i think there'll be a time and a place for that you know right now my selling point is that i am the person who does it so if you want to improve your substitutions you know sammy land is the guy to go to because you know he's got all this experience in research and data so i think it's a case of it's something i might look into maybe in a couple of years time you know when i'm when i'm you know 29 30 and then i can look to because uh, i want to be a premier league manager so then when i sort of transition back into just being a first team coach with with that more of an angle then maybe i'll look to sort of create this sort of course like you said or, or a cpd but i definitely think there's a place for it and um my one of my good friends thomas gronemark who's actually the throwing coach he does a lot of work for fa's he goes around and he recently did austria's fa i think he did the, the austrian pro or something like that and um and he obviously put my name forward um and i had a few conversations about potentially going in to present to the pro license coaches on the course and just say this is my experiences with substitutes and, and what i think that you could take from it so yeah there's definitely definitely room and legs for it i suppose at the moment with everything else I have and trying to create my own legacy, I haven't haven't thought about maybe going down that pathway just yet. I think there would be a, a lot of interest in it. I know, like, once our listeners um, hear more from you, I think this is just an area most people are just not aware of. But then once you've 
as I've done today, you learn about it, you you quickly realise that this is an area that I think there will be a lot of interest in. And also there'll be a lot of people out there that it's not just the, you know, the skills that you've got and the knowledge, but I also think you the one other thing you have got is the experience of how you've broken into professional teams to do this. Um, you know, that's a skill in itself, isn't it, really? Yes. Yeah. And it, it, yeah, the, the journey, I suppose, is what, because again, the role is the role. I believe the role is successful. I'm passionate about it. I believe it does add value. And that's one thing. But having the personality and, and the want to be successful to make, you know, to almost invent a new role in football, you know, is, is, a, is another thing that has to come alongside it. And I've had my fair share of rejections and, and all the rest of it. And I've had my fair share of journeys. And, you know, that Wimbledon, you know, the first few months was an, was an internship. So I couldn't afford to live in London. So I would drive there almost every day from Bournemouth to go and do Wimbledon. You know what I mean? And it was a crazy amount of miles and hours that I put in this little fiat of mine to, to get me to and from Plough Lane and Fratton Park I went to and Stadium of Light and all the rest of it. And then, you know, thankfully it turned into something more. But yeah, the, the, the role in itself is something, but you've got to have the the want to, to sort of, the resilience, I suppose, is the best word to, to actually convict it in in what is quite a tough industry yeah that is that's that's a hell of a commute every day yeah a lot of podcasts in that time <laughs> yeah because i'm thinking about scalability for yourself because if your services uh, are then becoming more in demand as you grow your your brand your expertise in this it is a case of well do i get to a stage where i have to turn things down um, you know, have you had that situation? Is that something you can envision happening in the future? Because I suppose as you grow your network, you're going to be having people approach you. And it's how do you mentor them, skill them to a stage where actually if other organizations came in, how can you say, well, I've got another person that I trust and I think they've got the traits mm. and skills. Um, so you don't miss out on the opportunities, obviously, that you're developing for yourself, but also for what your future looks like because either a sideline because if you do go on to be working in the premier league at elite level you know this might take more of a back seat in certain ways but it's mm. still something that's really valuable and how do you maintain yeah. its sustenance sort of thing yeah no it's, it's a good point and I, I have had sort of coaches reach out to me and ask you know whether they could you know purchase some of my work and that sort of thing and so i agree there's definitely demand for it right now i'm not at a case where i'm probably overworked i always have him i mean i've got i think i've got quite a good work ethic so if ever, if anybody ever comes i'm always like you know i'm just a yes man and i'll think about it later how it's going to work and if i have to stay up until 1am every morning and work then, then i will because i want to be part of that club's process but yeah there's definitely probably a pathway where you know i truly believe that i'm going to get to the top and that, and that when i do you know then i can have this maybe throughout the summer you know when it's typically your time off maybe i go and host these courses or like you said cpds webinars um there was something that was i can't remember what it was called it was like an innovation summit for football um by richard cohen i think it was um and it happened two years but it didn't happen this year for some reason but like going to those sorts of events and presenting my work would be really sort of cool opportunity and i know the training ground guru do um again like conference calls where they get loads of different people from different things and again to feature on that sort of thing would be would be a really good start i think for for, for spreading the word a little bit wider because i think with your field 
you know, obviously the Premier League is quite um, a challenging space to get in for people who are outside the game. Mm. Where, you know, if you look at the Saudi money um, that's happening, India's a growth market, the MLS. Have you reached out to people more internationally? Because we do have people listening from all over the world. Um, and, you know, do you ever have connections or networking with beyond these shores? Yeah, definitely. So I actually presented to a coach from Al Nassar, you know, which was obviously where Cristiano Ronaldo is at the moment. Um, and that was a really good experience. They didn't decide to go with it um, because they were in a little bit of a tough spell with the first team. So to introduce a new role potentially wouldn't have been the right time. But yeah, I spoke to the coach and we're still in contact today. Um, and then, yeah, the US is actually an area that I'm, that I'm starting to get quite big into. So I am contracted to two clubs in the US at the moment um and, and do a little bit of work for them so i mean i was actually advised by i think someone at qpr at the time or he'd gone on to somewhere else now but they sort of said you know the us would be perfect for you you know they like young english you know hungry innovative coaches and so that was sort of again the light bulb moment where i thought right well i'm just going to connect with every single person on linkedin that i can find who claims to be associated with an american club and then you know i'll try and get my name up there so yeah, the US and, and um, obviously I have done a Saudi team and a couple of other French teams and things like that. But it's it's it then turns into a little bit more of a, a remote role rather than you sort of going in every day purely because of the logistics of it. So there's pros and cons to that, I think. It's yeah, it, it, it I I think there's the, the you're 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 just scratching the top of the iceberg here in that I think there will be that that interest would you say like obviously you mentioned you, you work with two us sides and some other overseas sides are you seeing that i suppose those teams outside of the uk are they a bit more open to this idea or um you know it always is the uk or the english sides you've spoken to are they kind of same levels of interest mm. yeah i would say everyone is as open as as the next club because i think i've marketed myself to be quite an innovative coach so that if you are not a club that is maybe forward thinking or open to new processes or wants to be challenged then I don't think you reach out to me and I don't think I reach out to you you know it's almost like that you know I completely respect that football is a game of opinions and that this substitute substitute coach role won't be for everyone not everyone will see the value in it and I completely respect that but for me you know the, the clubs that want to try and you know improve a player development in an area that, that maybe hasn't been touched on yet then yeah that they're, they're completely open to it and i will say that i do think that us teams i haven't faced the us team at the moment who have challenged it you know they're very open to it again even if they decide not to go forward with it they're mm. open to hearing out the presentation hearing out a little bit about my ideas and that sort of thing that's interesting i suppose Simon, is that something you've always seen in that overseas sides are a bit more open to new ideas or or am i being a bit critical of of more established sides here in the uk we're improving in england because there used to be a lot of jobs for the boys but i think people are coming away from that they are you know still supportive of ex-players because they know that transition from playing to going into a new career is difficult so they're getting much higher levels of support to help them be proficient at that because it used to be i'll give you a job and you might not be able to coach, but we want to help you out. Now they're saying, well, we'll give you a job, but we'll also give you the skills to be able to do that, which is, and there's only a finite number of things. Um, so when you are someone from the outside now, if you are driven and hardworking and you bring value, 
I think they are a lot more receptive, especially because the influx of foreign owners, foreign um, coaches are willing to take on because they saw the effect of what Wenger did at Arsenal when he started to tear up the playbook and get people to start considering all these different marginal gains that uh, are coming in. So but I, I do think there is still an element at lower level um, in English football where people might be a little frowny against things. But, you know, Sam might, Sammy might be able to tell us differently because obviously Wimbledon were open. So it could come down to that individual being open to uh, new ideas and receptive to that because I think, you know, th there's always that element we want to get that slight advantage in whatever way we can. What does that look like? Um, so, yeah, I think it, it is individuals, but I've always found through my own career, when I was coming through as a coach who wanted work in that elite level when I was younger, the door was definitely closed at that time, but it's a lot more open. You've only got to look at the guy at Ipswich who put this, the hard yards in at Man United and other clubs, but now he's got a first-team role. I, I don't even think he's 40. You know, So they're, they're a lot more open to people um, who bring this innovation, drive, motivation, and um, you know they think, well, take a gamble on you, where they never used to, which is... Is, is interested. So is there a moment, Sammy, from your perspective where you've you've implemented this on a match day and you go, you know what, that has worked like a dream. That, that yeah. everything I've put into the process there, the way I've interacted with the player has now also made a difference on the pitch. Have you got one standout moment that you can think of? Yeah, I absolutely have. And it's funny you say this, actually, because I've just got a I'm not plugging any sort of business here, but I, I've just got a um, it's a please it's a, do. We're, we're happy. For yeah, you. we're hoping. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's not my business. So it's someone's yeah, it business. Doesn't matter. But, yeah, that's fine. Um, it's, it's a poster and it's a moment in football and it, they like painted it in like, you know, stick images and it's a little bit graphic. I'm actually going to post it on LinkedIn tomorrow and just share it because I think it's such a cool thing. But in the corner, you scan the QR code and it takes you to the highlights of that game and that moment. Oh, and cool. um, I've actually just got my first substitute goal done on one of these posters that I'm going to sort of stick up in the office. And it's like another part of the, the memories that I'm trying to create. And um, it was the second game I was in at Wimbledon. Um, we, we went to Charlton on my birthday um, and it was literally signed the day before. So I hadn't really had time to just like settle in. It was a case of, you know, you're in, here you go and get underway. But the following week, we played Bolton at home and we were 3-1 down um and you know we we turned robo turned to me and we and we you know looked about the subs and, and we looked at some and there was a bit of a conversation and we chose a substitute to go on and that half time you know this was part of my big thing that i think we could improvise and, and improve in that half times aren't anywhere near where they should be so you know me and dapo which was the player we had on loan for watford we were going through a movement which i think could impact the second half so I said, you know, I think this fullback doesn't move well. I don't think he doesn't like coming on the inside. So I want you to drive at me. I want you to drive at me, fake shot, come on your right and shoot. And we did it over and over and over again, almost for fifth, like, you know, 10, 10 of the 15 minutes. And we finished and we had a little high five and, and you know, we had a little cuddle and it was like, hey, we can do this. And then, you know, I think it was 68, 69 minutes, Dapo gets introduced and I'm sat and I'm watching and then he, he gets fed the ball on the far left-hand side. And it's 3-2 at this point first substitute um sort of won the penalty and uh dapo's driving and he cuts inside and he whips it around the keeper and it just nestles in the side netting and i just think that like that was the moment for me where i was like this is the best moment of my life <laughs> like i've got it well i've got it so I, you know we filmed all the half time so 
I've got the footage where we said, right, this is, you know, what we have to do. And, and again, like when you think about it, you take a step back, it all makes sense. You know, like, it's like I said, it's like driving a car. If you were to do 50 gear changes, when you do that 51st gear change, you don't even think about it. It is just natural. You, you feel confident doing it. And it's the same with these movements, you know, and that this was like a real theme that we then started doing throughout the season, this half time. And I've managed to get a few other moments, but this being the first was, was yeah, something that was just so, I was so proud of and it was you know it was almost like everything i'd sacrificed in my life for that one goal which made it 3-3 was 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 worth it yeah that must have been a special moment and and like you say it's the first time you you'll remember that won't you so no it's 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 incredible like i said i'm conscious of the time we don't um we've been going almost an hour but it <laughs> hasn't felt like it because this i'll be honest this is an, such an interesting um space but also it's just interesting to hear how you've got to where you are i suppose the logical next question for us is kind of what's you know what's the future for you like what what what's you know i know we're talking from a football perspective you've got the season ahead but what's where do you see i suppose the next two years ahead for you really um yeah continuing to grow a legacy um, so that the name Sammy Lander means more than the Hobus advert in Shaftesbury. That's where I want to be. <laughs> I mean, I always say like growing up, like I, I want to be, I want to stand for something. Do you know what I mean? I think society could be a little bit like, you know, you grow up, you, you marry a girl in your, your town, you, you pick a job in your town, you buy a house in your town, you know, and then you pass away in your town. And it's, it's like a cycle. And I thought, I just want more than that. You know what I mean? I, I want people hmm. to look, I want my kids and my grandkids and my grandkids' kids to look and go, Wow, you know, that's what Sammy did. You know, I want to go and do the same. I want to have a, a footprint in, in the world of football. And so, you know, I believe that I can I can do that eventually. You know, it, like you said, it is tough and I'm still only 26, so I'm still young. Um, but yeah, the, the next two years is waking up every single day and, and trying to grow a legacy that, that I can be proud of and that I can make my family proud of. Well, yeah, and I think that's aspirational. You can see that and it comes yeah. across your enthusiasm for this topic area but also you know your, your own brand you're almost you know that unique selling point of view of you know i want to bring this to the game i want to make sure it's impactful you've shown through your example of your your most proudest moment which obviously links to others that have come off the back of that as well that i can show that it's applicable because i think that's the thing the thing we always want usefulness in, in mm. you know especially at the elite level of the game yes we can talk about it but you're applying it it's being an impact for and it's mm. leading to goals which i think you know is, is the big thing now on the flip side from defensive do you ever bring people on yeah, where they're not they're question. not whipping in and then you know putting it in the top bins they're mm. actually coming on and they're doing a role to shut down the other side or see out a game is there elements there that you work on as well yeah so it comes back to the terminology that you used a little bit earlier where you said you called them game changers well we call a substitute in a winning uh in a winning game state closers which is typically yeah. what basketball players you know but it's quite a basketball culture thing but calling them closers so you know their role is to close the game it's to see the game out is to ensure that we leave this game with the points that you entered the game at so and again that looks completely different the prep's a little bit different because things you warm up at half time might be a little bit different and you know the process changes as the scoreline changes so yeah there's definitely there's definitely that and even when drawing you know you need to make sure that 
drawing is such a such an open thing because some people fans will always want you to go for the win regardless if you're mm. mansfield at man united nil nil at old trafford some fans will be thinking i want you to still go and win this game of football you know and mm. then, but the manager's probably thinking no, no no we'll take the point and the players then are in between so it's just creating that alignment um with the players and with the staff that everyone wants to achieve the same outcome so the follow-up question to that is, you know, and you'll probably be introduced to it on your UEFA B and when you go on to your A, what-if scenarios? So mm. what if our star player gets injured first 10 minutes? Do you have those discussions about it and how do you manage that from a substitution perspective and also sending offs in that same sort of, you know, vein? Mm. It's something that we're definitely doing more or I'm doing more because I've started working with a team who have this exact... Um, uh, process they have a presentation ready to go designed for each game and it's what if they go a man down what if they go a man up what about if they go three nil down what about if it's an injury to this player this player and so i have learned off that and has started to sort of adapt my substitute process to that so um that's still probably i wouldn't say it was new because i probably consider it in my mind but i probably don't do much about it if that makes sense so i'm on the bench thinking you know, right now, if this were to happen, you know, this player would, would fit perfectly into the game because of this data and the way that we warmed up and that sort of thing. So th there are different parts that I will consider, but, but actually putting it into like a presentation and sharing that is probably something that I am, that I'm growing. The English FA used to do that in and around England camps. Lot okay. of scenarios. Yeah. Um, so it was a board game. Oh, okay. They actually created a board game that, you know, linked to that because then it throws them up inadvertently. Because I think mm. it, that, that's a key skill, isn't it? You know, um, because when someone gets injured or sent off, the reaction to get on and be ready to go straight in is mm. so much different to match prep, half time. We're going to take you through some things just to visualize. You're going to do this key move or these are some of the key things because you're almost going, I've got to go from dead cold almost to mm. I'm now into the thicker things. And it's emotional state because either someone's been sent off or someone's gone off injured, mm. uh, which is a, a, quite a precarious situation. So what would you just give us your thoughts off your top of your head when that does happen? Does Do they turn to you or does the manager just go, I've got to take this because I, it's mm. me on with my, my, my head on the chopping block yeah. if, I, if, it, if I get point, it wrong? Yeah. Typically, it will be managers um, because, like, like you rightfully said, they're the guys that are going to feel the, the wrath of this. And, and even though, you know, more so now that backroom teams are getting fired almost with the manager. So, you know, you almost all feel it. But, um, you know, the manager still has to come out and answer the decisions and that sort of thing. So he has to be certain of it. And, and my role, like I said, is advisory, just like an analyst, just like a sports scientist. You know, a sports scientist might have his iPad and see that the winger is flagging up in the red zone and that he has to come off and he might say to the manager and the manager might decide against it. And, and you know, that's our role as a backroom team. And that's why we're not the head coaches. We're there to advise and assist. So what I always say to the players is that if, if those moments happen, just make sure that you reassure the manager, you know, so don't let there be a sending off the manager turn around and you haven't even got your shirt pad, uh, shirt on and shinies on, you know, and mm. the, aren't even ready and that your shirt's inside in the changing rooms and that little thing make sure that in this moment if he turns around he can trust you to go and do the role yeah so listening to you it i i get the feeling that you live by some definite uh, motivational elements to your life mm. 
is there um, one sort of quote or one sort of statement that you you sort of go, you know what, this is what drives me. This is what is going to give La Sammy Lander this legacy that, you know, you're trying to build at the moment. Is there something that you always refer back to? It's tough, yeah. So I've actually got a whiteboard in my room, which is called like sort of a motivational whiteboard and um, not very creatively named, but it, it has sort of like <laughs> quotes on and little images and, and, you know, people that I think inspire me, like Michael Jordan and, and things like that. And, you know, every day I wake up and even if you just glance at it, you know, unconsciously you take in something from it um, but the thing that I probably use the most at the moment is um, every day when I wake up the quote is every day when I wake up I make sure that rather than prove people wrong I prove my support right so for me like I think it's very easy and it, you almost develop like a victim mindset when you go out and you say it's me against the world Do you know what I mean I want to prove them wrong I want to prove them wrong and you know I went through a stage where you know when I was 18 at the pub you know, and I want to tell people I'd be a Premier League manager or, or, or change the face of football that people would laugh at me. And, for, you know, for ages, it was, like, oh, I'm going to prove that person wrong. But then you get to a stage where you go, that person's irrelevant. Now, what I yeah. want to make sure that my mum, who supported me since, you know, my car crash and, and sacrificed to make sure that I've had those opportunities, I want to prove her support right. I want to make sure that, you know, she's mm. invested in me for the right reasons. And so every day at the moment, yeah, that that's the quote i'm probably living by at the moment but it, it, it probably will change at some point <laughs> i like that it's almost that strength-based approach isn't it where yeah. i focus on what my greatest strengths are and just develop them because if i try to focus on an area that's a, a weakness perceived um i could be just wasting time you know yeah. where actually if i sharpen my tools that i've already got and make them as sharp as they can i'm going to be in a much better place longer term Dave, do you have any sort of additional things for Sammy? Or? Yeah, I, I was going to say, as I said, I, I don't want to repeat exactly what I just said before, but I am thoroughly impressed with what you're doing and also your attitude. It, it is incredible. Like like Simon says, it's 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 concentrating on your your strengths, but not letting those distracted distractions or those detractors kind of get you away from that that drive. I suppose. I suppose my fi like my final question then is. Um, you've mentioned obviously you're working with a number of different clubs. I suppose what would be your dream club to work with? Uh, you know, what is the icing on the cake? I suppose. Yeah, it's a tough one that because um, again, this will be a bit controversial. But I, I grew up supporting Portsmouth actually, so Yay! I would uh, yeah, I would part of the Blue <laughs> Army and the play up Pompey, and I went to the <laughs> FA Cup um, and watched Carnu score that goal and, and all the rest of it, but. Then when I sort of reached a little bit older, I started, I actually don't support a team because I find fans to just be so confusing at times. Do you know what I mean? In terms mm -hmm. of people who say they support Man United and then I'll talk to them about Man United and they won't say one single thing that's positive about Man United. And I think, you know, do you actually even like Man United or are you just, you know, it's just, it just blows my mind, that concept. Yeah. I, I've never really supported a team, so it's tough to answer that question. But I suppose for me, I'd love to work for... Um, an international side at, at some point, you know, to experience what that's like. Um, and, and I would love to win the Premier League. So it's maybe not necessarily a club that, that I want to work with, but it's a memory that I want to achieve. It's something in football. that. So I'd love to work in international football and I'd love to be in some capacity part of a Premier League winning team. I think that's a good thing to target. I suppose then this is going to be controversial on my part. I think uh, I, I'll, you know, 
I'm not the biggest fan of Gareth Southgate, but I think one of his issues is is how he handles his substitutions. So maybe if you could kind of get there earlier than, than later, we might actually have a chance of winning a major tournament. So, uh, <laughs> you know, if you if you could get there before, uh, you know, sooner rather than later, maybe, yeah, we, we could be successful. But I don't think yeah. that's happening at the moment. <laughs> Sammy, it's been a, a really fascinating chat, you know, and I've had these conversations for years around football and football coach development, etc. And to spend a, a, a good hour and a bit talking about just mm. substitutions, and like Dave said, it feels like we're scratching the surface a little bit. Yeah, very much. Um, and, you know, and you could go a lot deeper, but we know you, you've also got to try and protect your, your 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 powder, keep your powder dry, so you mm. know you're not just sharing it far and wide too soon. Um, but we always ask our guests, um, do you have anyone in your network who you think might want to come on in the future uh, who's similar, would like to share their thoughts or observations on any topic? It doesn't have to be football, mental health. Yeah. You know, we're completely open to anyone. Because um, if you if you do, it would be nice to be connected to them so we can share their story as well with other people. So you don't have to give us an answer straight away, but if you have one off the top of your head, amazing. Um, or you can just come back to us and try and connect us yeah. with someone in the future. Yeah, I mean, I'll definitely have someone that will be that will be interested in doing it again off the top of my head. I probably wouldn't be able to pull a name out of a hat right now. But, um, yeah, you know, I, I'd like to think that there's there's definitely people that would not only appreciate having this platform to sort of, you know, brand themselves, but but also, you know, talk, talk to a really good podcast. So, yeah, I'm sure I could definitely find so it will be an easy sell um, getting someone on board, no doubt. Brilliant. I suppose the other thing we need to get out of you as well is how do our listeners find out more or how can they follow more about you? Like, sell yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm, not, I'm not too big on the social medias. Um, I, I have recently got Twitter, but but I don't particularly use it too much other than to sort of read a few tactical threads. But uh, LinkedIn is probably the thing where I'm most uh, most active on, and that's obviously just my name, which is um, Sammy Lander. So, yeah, please do go check, check my page out and check some of my work out. And, um, yeah, if you have any questions that don't, get rid of my powder too much then i'll try and answer them. <laughs> yeah, protect your ip protect your <laughs> ip well obviously we we would love to promote uh when you come up with your course and uh and and your 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 blueprint for coaches out there so keep All us in true. mind when that happens yeah absolutely absolutely <laughs> so i mean i just want to say thanks once again for your time today you know, really giving us uh, a new perspective, you know, which has come out of the blue, which is always yeah. nice. So if there are any other listeners out there similar to Sammy who think, you know what, I'll just connect Dave and Simon and, you know, see if they would uh, have me on a guest. We're, we're so open to that. We really want to just have interesting conversations with inspiring people who can share, you know, their perspective on the world and, and what they're trying to bring to that. So um, thank you very much, Sammy, for yeah, thanks, willingness man. to reach out. And, um, yeah, just showing by taking risks, by being that yes person, you know, it brings uh, something different, um, which I, I find fascinating way to live life because I think it does take you in uh, a lot of interesting, exciting uh, uh, directions. So thanks again, Sammy, for your time today. No, yeah, thank, thank you, you. For, for obviously making this happen and, and you know, answering my message and, and, you know, just having a good chat around football. You know, thanks for your, for your thoughts and opinions and questions. It's really appreciated and I look forward to hearing it back. Thank you.